Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the NFL draft is in the review mirror as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 55. At the top of this week's show, we've got a special edition of Chalk Talk where I chat with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell during the start of the fourth round of last week's draft. And if you guys were following along on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app, you saw all of the All-22 video content that Greg and I were firing out throughout the draft. And while we watched the rest of the weekend's events unfold, we had a lot of sidebar conversations about the philosophy of the draft and all the factors that go into each selection. So I thought, you know what? This would actually make for a pretty interesting podcast. So at the start of day three, I basically hit record, and Greg and I went for 30-plus minutes about a boatload of topics. So no no two-technique today. No Saturday scouting. Sit back and listen. Greg and I spout off about the start of round four in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, Greg. There's about four minutes left on the clock here. The Cleveland Browns are on the clock in the fourth round to start the uh, day three of the NFL draft. I figured, and I've already explained this to the listeners, but figured I'd give fans a, a little bit of a look. You and I have gotten to spend the last two days together uh, watching the NFL draft unfold. And a lot of our conversations that we've had you know, made me think, you know what, I think some of the listeners would really enjoy some of the talks that you and I have had over the last couple of days as we're watching the draft unfold. We get to see all of these players that we've spent so much time evaluating over the course of the last four months. I don't even want to think about how many hours right. uh, spent doing it. But now we get to see them go to teams, and it's all about now fitting onto their new roster. Yeah, ultimately, the way NFL coaches look at the draft, which is different than scouts, really. Scouts are dealing a lot more with the measurables. Not that scouts aren't concerned about their specific team and how players fit, but coaches really focus, Fran, on scheme adaptability because they want to line up players within their scheme. And now, particularly today, day three, Obviously, you're dealing with players who may not be guys who are going to play, let's say, 60 snaps if you're talking about defense. You might draft a player today who you feel can be an excellent if you play a lot of dime with six defensive backs. You may draft a player that's your dime safety, and he plays 20 snaps, but you feel that that's a really valuable piece to the scheme that you run. So really, you're looking for scheme fit, scheme adaptability, and having players who can come in and play to some degree. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought up the scheme adaptability because that was one term I wanted to really hit on. I know it's one of your favorite phrases, especially uh, this weekend. Well, I've heard so much over the years from coaches. Yeah. And it it really impacts the way I watch tape because when I watch tape, and I know you do the same, but I'm not just looking for traits when I watch players. Obviously, we do that, traits, attributes, characteristics of individual players, but when I'm done watching a prospect, whether it's three games, four games, six games, whatever it may be, my mind, and it happens while I'm watching as well, but when I'm done, it certainly goes to, okay, what does this guy now do in the NFL? Right. Where does he play? How does he play within a given scheme? 
is is he a three four player? Is he a four three player? If he's a lineman, is he better as a one gap player or a two gap player? Um, is is if he's a safety, is he a guy that is not going to be able to play on the back end effectively? It, you th- I think about the NFL game because for six months, all I do is study hard NFL tape that I've been doing basically for twenty five years. So it all comes down to where guys fit, and then you get into specific schemes and specific teams. And it's. I go back to something I've learned listening to a guy like Phil Savage, and one of the things he says when he would do scouting reports is he would write about what does a pl- what can a player do tomorrow for your team, and what can a player be three years from Correct. now for an NFL team, so that you really try and put it under a microscope of what this guy is right now. What can he be if we lined up tomorrow? What role can he play on defense? What role can he play on special teams? What role can he play on offense? And then three years from now, what can he develop into? What kind of player is he going to be? And that is such a great point because everyone, including us, you know, we get caught up in quote-unquote grading a draft, saying, hey, that's a great pick. And everybody does that. And obviously on Monday you're going to see everybody's grades, and you know that's what we go through. But in many ways it's irrelevant because when you draft a player, sure – Early in the draft, you definitely want to draft players that you feel can contribute right away. But here at day three, you might, you're looking for specific kinds of players, and you, then you're looking for players that you can develop with your coaching staff. Yeah, no so, question. So you might draft a player today, and it might seem to a fan of the team that, oh, why did we take that guy? But they see that guy in two or three years as a real quality starter. He's just not ready to do that right now, which is obviously why, Fran, He's drafted on day three because if he was ready to do that right away, he'd be drafted on day one or day two. Well, I think a lot of fans had a little bit of that reaction when the Eagles drafted Isaac Sayamalu in the third round on, on Friday night. Sayamalu wasn't a huge name throughout the pre-draft process. You know, he was a junior who declared he missed a good amount of time as a sophomore a couple yes. of years ago. Uh, you know, was at the combine, but wasn't overly uh, impressive in terms of the athletic numbers. I think he te- he plays faster than he actually tested. But a player like that, and you see the athletic ability, you see yes. uh, the nastiness, the relentless finish from a guy like that. You, it's easy to say then then project, and you say, you know what, that makes a lot of sense in what Doug Peterson wants to do offensively. Absolutely. And again, it doesn't mean, let's, you speak about Sayamalo, it doesn't mean that Sayamalo, let's say, would be considered a bad draft choice if for some reason this year he's not a starter. Right. Now, you'd like him to be. I think the Eagles drafted him with the hope that he could uh, play left guard and, and beat out Alan Barber, who's been in the league a long time and is probably considered more of a rotational player by most. But if he doesn't this year, that doesn't mean Sayamalo is not a good draft choice. Right. Because... It takes time, and and we always have to reiterate, and, and you know I've spent so much time this draft season talking about it, and, and there's so many NFL people who talk about it as well. If you read articles, the college game and the NFL game are becoming more and more different each and every year, and it, it may be most visible, let's say, at quarterback, but it really impacts almost every position, and it takes time now for players to learn to play in the NFL. Yeah, no question. And that's across positions. Uh, the first pick of the fourth round is announced. The Cleveland Browns have selected Joe Schobert, an, an interesting player, can play a little bit inside, can play outside. And that's what we're going to try and do here uh, in this podcast is uh, it's a, definitely a different version than what you're used to if you listen to this show. We're going to react to some picks, and that may result in some sidebar, some side conversations, but really try and talk philosophically uh, about this period in the draft, this day three in the draft and what this means for teams. Because honestly, Greg, yeah, 
Day one, it's great. You mentioned it. You want that impact player. Day two and day three, or day two in the second and third round, teams are obviously looking for very talented players, and a lot of very talented players come out of the second and third round. But the meat of the NFL comes from day three in the draft, and yeah. ever the, the good teams draft well on day three. And you know what that speaks to? The nature of the NFL game, that there's sub-packages on defense. On offense, obviously you're not changing offensive linemen, but there's certainly receivers and backs in the NFL and tight ends who play a certain number of snaps, might only play when you go to three wide. Uh, you know, I mean, think of the Eagles at Darren Sproles and how impactful a player like that can be in the National Football League, theoretically playing 18 or 20 snaps a game. So those are the players that today become so critically important to get players who can contribute, even if it's for 20 snaps a game. So when you're getting, and this is a very uh, umbrella question, so I don't yeah. you know, and take your time with the answer, is when you get to day three and you're watching all these players come off the board now as Oakland's pick is in with the 100th selection overall, are you more likely, if it will put your GM cap on, Yeah. are you more willing in this stage to take a guy with great physical upside and try and bet on that upside, or would you take a guy that maybe you know the physical ceiling isn't super, super high, but he knows how to play? He shows some of the technical savvy. It's a great question. Some of the technique things that you like to see at his and specific I think, position. I think there's a different answer for each team Absolutely. and for each situation, because a lot of times on the third day you will see players who have great physical traits but don't necessarily play to those traits and you feel that hey he's got the you can't teach athleticism we can put a guy in the weight room and make him stronger we theoretically can teach him to play with better technique but if a guy has great physical athletic traits hey let's draft that guy we can make him a player yeah. That's one school of thought. Another school of thought, we just saw Joe Schobert go with the, the Cleveland Browns. Joe Schobert, as you know, he was basically an outside pass rusher at Wisconsin. My guess is he's not really that guy in the NFL. I, I didn't quite I see agree, him that yeah. way. But my, he's not a great athlete, but yet I, I, I think he's viewed as a very efficient, solid football player. Well, you see, you say I just saw who came <laughs> off, but but just to finish the thought, and then Absolutely. we'll get to that. So I think the, the second point is you draft a guy who you see having a specific role based on what his skill set is. You know he's not going to be significantly better athletically. That's what he is, and you fill you put him in a specific role, and he plays in that role, and he's an efficient player. No question about it. So uh, with the 100th pick in the draft, the Oakland Raiders trade up with the Cleveland Browns. They select Connor Cook, the quarterback, from Michigan State. And this is this kind of comes to the question I just asked you. And a player that, yeah, maybe in terms of his tools, he's not what you would call a toolsy quarterback in terms of his arm strength and his natural athletic ability. But, yeah, decision-making was a little bit up and down. But he knows how to work in the pocket. Yes. Uh, you, you see the ability to throw with anticipation at times. Uh, what do you think about Connor Cook, and is this well, where, about where you thought he'd go in this The draft? first thing I thought of when I saw the Oakland Raiders take Connor Cook is we spend so much time discussing Connor Cook as being a potential first-round pick, right. correct? Yeah. Now he's just been relegated to a career backup. Yeah, right. Which is fascinating when you think about the fact that he just went to the Oakland Raiders. We, he went from being talked about as a guy who's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, and now he's a career backup in Oakland. Yeah, stuck behind an established starter. A guy who's far more talented than Connor Hart. Cook anyway. But, but you know what? I thought in watching Connor Cook's tape, to me— it, it, Putting aside any of the other issues, and we know those were significant and severe issues from what I heard, 
as right. you probably heard as well. But if, if I was looking at him as a talent, to me he's an, a mid-second round uh, pick type, maybe early second round, maybe in the Andy Dalton kind of range. You know, I, I think he's that kind of quarterback where – He's a quarterback that if you have enough pieces on your offense, he can run your offense efficiently. That's essentially what he was in college. And it's always a mistake in my view. Always is too strong a word, but it's usually a mistake to draft a player based on college and think he'll be a different player in the NFL. Yeah. Because it's the level is higher. And it's it's just, you know, I always use that baseball analogy. I know I've made it with you. You know, a guy who bats seventh in a really good hit, hitting order and hits 30 home runs and knocks in 90 runs, to sign him as a free agent and say he's your cleanup hitter, that rarely works. It's And it's interesting. You and I, we talked earlier about the quarterback position and the the selection of Christian Hackenberg in yes. the second round to the New York Jets. And when you talk about the of all the months, all the time we put into – the evaluation process. What is Christian Hackerberg? What can he be in the NFL? What are his physical tools like? What are his mental traits like? What are his quarterback-specific traits? And what is his skill set? Then yeah. he goes to a team, the New York Jets, and the first thing, you and I were sitting next to each other, I watched know. the pick. The very first thing I did was, you know what? Who's the quarterback we, coach? And we both said it immediately. Yeah. We both immediately turned to one another and said, who's the quarterback coach with the Jets? And let's, t- let's take it. And it's interesting. The, first, the reason why we thought that was, obviously, look, we know that Christian Hackerberg, for all the talent that he has, he, ne- he needs some help. He needs some work. He needs a lot of work. And that's the case with a lot of different prospects. And it really, that's why it's not black and white when you talk about no. these prospects and, and ultimately their NFL future. Uh, scheme adaptability, circumstance, coaching. And I, just because of my background and the, the, the fortunate ability I've had over the years to spend a lot of time with coaches – uh, you know, I know I've talked to you about it numerous times. I was so fortunate to spend six, seven different meaningful amounts of time with Bill Walsh over the years before he passed away. And to me, coaching becomes so, so critical. And again, it gets back to the fact that the college game and the NFL game are so different that you're now you have to teach players how to play in the NFL and with quarterbacks in particular Christian Hackenberg we know about his arm talent and that term has become overused but it's true it's overused for a reason but he needs so much work from the ground up starting with his footwork he needs to be taught the quarterback position essentially from scratch yeah and And it's interesting too because you wonder let me ask you this how much of that can be coached and how often do you see players that are you know subpar in some of these areas in college greatly improve once they get to the NFL. You know, I'm sure you would see a lot, and, and I just can't think of, of a yeah, name right. right. You know, I'll tell you, I'll give you a great example of, to me, someone who improved dramatically and is now the best defensive player in football, J.J. Watt. I don't know if you remember him at Wisconsin. He was not a big-time pass rusher at Wisconsin. Now, a lot of it had to do with where he played. He played a lot more inside. But there were a lot of people that really liked J.J. Watt coming out and felt that he'd be a really solid pro, but nothing more because they didn't see pass rush. Right. And he's become a great pass rusher. And it's interesting because we just saw Charles Tapper just went off the board. He went in the fourth round to the Dallas Cowboys. And Tapper is a guy that you know played some, played inside, played outside. At times he showed like he was really, really good with his hands. Other times he didn't. So, and and every position is different. Hand use as a, as a pass rusher, the ability to know how to attack that pass rush skill because there's right. a difference between yeah, you know, he can bend the edge or he's got natural power, but 
rushing the passer, that, that's a process, that's a skill set that, that, that is needs correct. to be learned and improved over time. You know, and it's funny you say that because this is going to sound crazy, but again, I've been watching tape for a lot of years. I've gotten uh, probably more right than wrong, but I've gotten some wrong. But when I watched Charles Tapper, and I'm going to say this honestly, I did not think there was a large difference between Charles Tapper and Shaq Lawson. Interesting. Very interesting. Because I, I neither one would what I call explosive off the edge. Would you say Tapper was explosive? I I actually liked I know, I actually liked Tapper more than Lawson. There you go. So, so you, you know you're we're on the same page. I was there. interested to hear you say that because I you liked know, him more. Yeah. Than so uh, you know, to me, Charles Tapper and Lawson were very similar kinds of players, and and Lawson was viewed by some as a top ten pick. Ended up going nineteenth to the Buffalo Bills, which I believe is actually a very good spot for Shaq Lawson because he'll be schemed. Rex Ryan will scheme him into a pass rusher because I did not believe Lawson could line up in the NFL and beat left tackles, good left tackles. Right. And Tapper, I think, is another guy you can scheme. And that's why it's funny, too, when you talk about just the landing spots of certain players. You know, we, we saw Josh Perry from Ohio State just go off the board to the San Diego Chargers. He joins his teammate, Joey Bosa. You know, you watch a player, and we said this about uh, Shaq Lawson's future teammate and uh, Reggie Ragland. And what would Reggie Ragland's role be in this Buffalo defensive scheme? Would he be able to play in sub-package alongside Preston Brown? And would, you would, would think would, not. Would the Bills right, feel okay right. being able to do that? It's interesting now watching all these players go off the board and trying to imagine what is their role going to be with their new team. It's funny because Reggie Ragland, to me, and again, we're just talking about utilization and deployment, not saying he's the same player. But I think Rex Ryan could see Reggie Ragland. And don't forget, Rex Ryan was with the defensive coordinator years ago of the Baltimore Ravens. I could see him looking at Reggie Ragland and thinking Ray Lewis. And again, we're not saying he's Ray Lewis, who's a you know first ballot Hall of Famer and one of the greatest to play, but just the way he would be deployed within the context of Rex Ryan's defense. Right. Well, and now this is actually an excellent segue into the selection that just happened. With the 103rd pick, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected Sheldon Day. And you have that 4-3 under scheme with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Gus Bradley, the whole Pete Carroll lineage. And you have, you have a player like Sheldon Day who's a certain kind of player. You know, somebody yeah. was a, a three-technic, definitely on the smaller side. Where does he fit in on that uh, base let me tell you scheme? Something. Or is he a sub-package player? I, I, I loved watching Sheldon Day on film. He was a fun player to watch. And I think Sheldon Day, to me, was very reminiscent of Cyrus Jones of Alabama. I think if Cyrus Jones was two inches taller, he would have been a first-round pick at corner. I think if Sheldon Day was two inches taller, he would have been definitely a second-day pick and maybe a second-round pick. Right. And Because I think Sheldon Day is a three-technique by, by ability. Now, he's not a guy who's going to line up and play 65 snaps a game. But Sheldon Day, again, we're talking about deployment. We're not saying he's the same player, but he's, he's a lowercase poor man's Aaron Donald kind of mover. Now, Aaron Donald is a big-time stud, and like I said, I'm not saying Sheldon Day is coming in and getting 15 sacks. But Sheldon Day, that's the kind of position he plays for you. And Jacksonville is looking for pass rush and quickness on their D-line anywhere they can get it. And say what you want about Sheldon Day and his size. Plus, he's an unbelievable kid, by the way. But Sheldon Day, he has great quickness and explosion off the ball. But how interesting is it for you to see if you see a player go in the fourth round? And you say, all right, well, chances are he's probably not going to step in and be a starter right away and play, you know, Maybe 60 not. snaps a day. Probably not. Yeah. 
but it's interesting to think, okay, well, what, what kind of role, and getting back to that, that Phil Savage line, what can he do tomorrow as the first Temple Owl goes off the board? Love it. Go to you. He's a player. By the way, I, just, I, I hate to interrupt course, you, but yeah. I mentioned Cyrus Jones of yeah. Alabama. I almost felt similarly about Tavon Young. I don't think he's at the level of Cyrus Jones, right. but he's a similar kind of player that I think if Tavon Young was six feet, he would have been a, a definitely a, a second-day pick for sure. So it gets back. So Sheldon Day, and you could say the same about Tavon Young because of the size. A guy, both are players that, yeah, necessarily, sure, they probably would have gone earlier if they were bigger. But now the way that they get drafted, they can come in and they can fill specific roles right away on defense for their for their individual teams. You know, Sheldon Day can come in and he could be a sub-package interior rusher. He lined up as a defensive end as well sometimes in Notre Dame. That's right. As well as down at the Senior Bowl. Tavon Young could step in right away and play, uh, you know, 15, 20 snaps you know, Baltimore on defense needs corners. as a sub-package corner. Yeah, they're drafting this kid, I guarantee. They're not sitting in their room and saying, hey, we just drafted our starting corner. Pencil him in. He's, he's playing 70 snaps a game. Right. But they just drafted a kid who obviously is a little shorter than you would like at, at the corner position in today's NFL. But other than that, has pretty much athletically and movement-wise the trait you're looking for for an outside corner. Now, they may see him because of his size and that movement ability. They may say, hey, he's a slot corner right now. We're going to put him in the slot, and that's where he's going to live. And I could see that too. One of the things, uh, Gray, how important is size in the NFL? Because one of the things I've heard is that if a guy's going to be small, He's got to have outstanding traits to make up for it. Something. Yeah. So if a, you know you have a small corner, he's got to have outstanding ball skills, outstanding athleticism to make up for that lack of size. Do you feel that that's something that's the same across the board? Again, I think you're dealing with team specific, but I think everybody would say in today's NFL, with the preponderance of bigger receivers, more back shoulder throws, more throws that are contested, basically, that the bigger corners, you, you would prefer that. Here's where the issue comes, and every team will deal with it differently. What's the balance between size and and traits. Are you willing to draft a six feet or six one corner whose athletic traits may not be ideal over a guy who's five nine or five ten who clearly has great athletic traits? Right. You know. Th- so, so then every team would look at that balance on the spectrum a little bit differently. But it's not profound to say everybody would prefer a bigger player than a smaller player, but the bigger player then has to be able to move well enough. Well, and that's when it becomes, you know, that's the interesting thing about size is that you can quantify size. You right. Can, you can say, okay, well, these, this is how long his arms are. This is how tall he is. This is how big his hands are. With athletic ability, it's tough because even, even with the test scores, and I know everybody wants to rely on test scores and say, oh, well, that's what kind of athlete the guy is. He may have had a bad night's sleep, and maybe yeah. that, or he and fall step for one second, and that affected and uh, the rest of the run. And you know what? Then you also athletic ability also doesn't automatically translate into being a good player. Right. You know, we talked about this, and again, just the kind of discussions you and I had while we were watching the draft the past two days. Artie Burns going, I believe, twenty fifth right. to the Pittsburgh Steelers clearly has athletic traits, length, movement to play outside corner in the NFL. But when you watch the tape. And I know you and I agree on this, and I think most people would. Not really a very good player right now. Now, Pittsburgh drafted him, and, and they needed corners. And look, Mike Tomlin cut his teeth as a defensive backs coach. I'm sure he spends a lot of time with those players as a coach, and they'll work with him. But here's a guy who has clearly athletic traits. You can check those boxes with Artie Burns, but the tape is not really that good. Yeah, no, that's the interesting part is when, when teams take players that – because we – so far in this podcast, 
looking at players that have gone off the board in round four, we're talking about players that need a lot of work. Obviously, all of these players or are prospects. Or specific players. Of course. Like Joshua Perry going to San Diego, which, by the way, I don't think uh, is great for Manti Teo. No, because I would think they play the same position in a 3-4 defense. That's a good point. Yeah, so it's interesting, though, when you see those players that also need a ton of work going early in the draft. You think back to an Eric Flowers right, last year with right. the New York Giants, right? Who uh, Physical upside, absolutely. And I, and I liked Eric Flowers coming out of Miami. But you get to the NFL and you say, oh, yeah, we can coach his weight transfer and his hand placement and his punch timing, and we can fix that. He still had a lot of issues. Theoretically, this past year you can. The and by the way, theoretically, of you course, can. Of course. You know, and, and here's the other thing the Eric Flowers thing is really interesting in the discussion of offensive linemen. How many times do we see left tackles in college and we, we say, hey, they're pretty good, they're, they're, they have traits, but we don't think they're left tackles in the NFL? Do you, if there's a guy you like and you think he's a left tackle down the road, do you just put him there and live with the learning there, or do you move him to right tackle and then wait? You know, Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson was viewed as highly athletic coming out of of um, Oklahoma, that he was a definite NFL left tackle. Now, don't forget, he came to Philadelphia where Jason Peters is, but you know, that kind of player. I don't think there was any question about his athleticism to play left tackle, but a lot of people felt like he wasn't truly ready to play left tackle. Sure, yeah, and you could say the same about some of the players that have gone in this draft as well. Uh, And look, a couple years later, Jason Peters is out with an injury, uh, Lane Johnson has Plays to slide against Dallas. Over. And Dallas, that was the best game he played. I was going to say you could argue it was the best game. I was going to say last year, but maybe his career. I think it would be yeah, his career. Yeah. He, he slides over, and and remember, Greg Hardy was hot at that point. Yep. He was coming off the suspension. He had a couple big plays uh, in every game leading up to that week. And you see what happens with some time and some coaching, some patience with a player like that, uh, and how he can reach his potential. So yeah, I mean it's it's very interesting when you get to this point in the draft, and I'm I'm, I'm still blown away by Connor Cook because I I'm just fascinated that now he, he's he's just been relegated to a backup quarterback in the National Football League. Yeah, and we, we spend so much time uh, talking about the potential future of a, a guy like Connor Cook as we wait for the Kansas City Chiefs selection here with the 105th pick in the four in the uh, 2016 draft. We're here in round four. It's just very, very interesting to see uh, how much we spend all this time leading up to this draft. And then you see a guy get drafted, and you're like, well, he's a backup. We won't be talking about him for three years. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I mean, I I feel, you know, look, I don't know Connor Cook, and there were so many stories, but, you know, it's just, it's got to be so, so disappointing for that kid. Uh, I mean, he, look. Say what you want when you watch the John Gruden piece, the quarterback camp with Connor Cook, and we know that John Gruden, look, he knows football certainly probably well, way more than I do. Uh, there's a certain TV element to that, but he was raving about Connor Cook, talking about him being a potential top ten pick, and here he goes in the fourth round and to, to a team where he's clearly the backup quarterback. No question. And it, offensive line is a, is a position where I, I find so fascinating throughout the draft process because every year – there are always a certain amount of offensive linemen that go earlier than people think or that just come out of nowhere and get drafted. Now I'm like, I, I have no idea who this player is. Uh, when you look at it, and obviously every team is looking for a very specific set of skills at, along the offensive line, and every coach and every scheme is yep. different. You know, Some teams are looking for uh, you know, more of the toughness and the ability to move people at the point of attack. Some people prefer uh, the ability to, to think on your feet. Doug Peterson talked about that yesterday when talking about Isaac Sayamalo. He talked about the athletic traits. Is there a position that you find most fascinating to watch as you get through this whole evaluation process and you try and transition – players from college to the NFL? 
Obviously, we'll take quarterback out yeah, of it because quarterback, quarterback is, out is of the an equation. animal. You know, it's funny. I've become fascinated by offensive line play. And, and I, I wouldn't consider myself in terms of every single technique of offensive line play to be a true expert, Fran. You know, I've learned a lot over the years, spending a lot of time with offensive line coaches, talking to a lot of different people, and trying to get a feel for the, the subtle techniques of the position. But where I think I'm most fascinated by looking at offensive line is – the difference between the NFL game and the college game. Absolutely. Because all these spread offenses in college, first of all, the splits with offensive linemen. You, you know, I mean, I, and I know we, we both watched this game recently when we watched um, uh, TCU play Oregon yep. in the bowl game. Sure. They were splits by TCU's offensive line. I mean, it looked to me like the, the, the tackles were wide receivers sometimes. And, you know, I, I mean, would think it too with Texas Tech and, yeah, uh, and yeah, and Clark yeah. as well. I mean, and – because of the spread offenses, the defenses are so spread out. So what you're getting now with offensive linemen coming into the NFL is they have no sense of how to deal with a lot of people in the box and a lot of traffic in the box and a lot of blitz schemes from second and third level players, which you do not see very often in college football. So we always talk about this when it comes to the quarterback, but offensive line now has really become a much more difficult position in my view to, to to evaluate maybe offensive line coaches see it differently I, you know that I don't know but to me it's just it's a totally different environment playing offensive line in college than it is playing offensive line in the NFL well it's interesting too and I I go back to something we talked about actually a lot last year I remember of the days and I'm sure you do too where it seemed like offensive line in the first round of the NFL draft was pretty much as safe as you can go and it's it, not anymore. It is nowhere near that anymore. Look at all these tackles taken, you know, prior uh, the last three, four. You have to really go back to Tyron Smith in 2011. I think he was the ninth player chosen. Yeah, I think so. Uh, to the last really high-level, quote-unquote, left tackle. He played right tackle his first year right. and now has been at left tackle the last number of years. He's really been the last high-level guy and maybe I'm missing one, but I'm thinking of the Luke Jokels, the Eric Fishers, the Greg Robinsons, you know, guys like that. You know, Jake Matthews has turned out to be solid, right. and I think he'll be okay, yep. but I don't know if he's going to be, you know, an all-pro Hall of Fame type player. Yeah. All these left tackles have not really turned into the players that there seemed to be a consensus about when they were drafted. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, you think back to that 2011 draft, and everybody loves that 2011 draft to, to bash the quarterbacks, you know, the, the Christian Ponders and the Jake Lockers and the, and the Blaine Gabberts. But if you look at some of the tackles in that first round, because there were some outstanding player, you know, Patrick Peterson and J.J. Watt. And that was a pretty good Smith. draft. That was an outstanding yeah, yeah. draft class. Uh, A.J. Green as well. But then you look at That's the That's Julio Jones then, too. Julio Jones yeah. as well. I mean, that was an outstanding yeah. draft. But the, the tackles in that class, you, you talk about a Gabe Karimi and a Derek Sherrod uh, obviously, Danny Watkins did not pan out either. All and, gr- and Green Bay still trying line. to make up for Derek Sherrod. They just took Jason Spriggs. Exactly right. Right. But and so it, it's interesting how how and you talked about how the 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 spread offenses in college affect more than just the quarterback, and that's why I, that's really the reason I got started down this road. We saw Parker Edinger from Cincinnati get drafted. And he's going to be a guard. Yeah, he's going to be a guard. He's he going to be a guard. College, yeah. and a guy that I don't think a lot of people were thinking. Oh yeah, he's going to be a fourth round pick. Those guys start to go earlier because I feel like teams are finding a little bit more success, almost not taking a shot in right, the dark, right. but you're seeing more of these late-round picks have success because you know teams aren't 
yeah, you're going to have some successful players in the early part of the draft with a player, uh, you know, like Elaine Johnson, obviously. But you can go into into round three, round four, round five, get a guy like Jason Kelsey in round six and find a, a, a starter earlier than you would think. Well, and I think the reason for that, and just a thought as we're talking here, sort of just, you know, throwing things against the wall, yeah. is – Coaches know that they're pretty much starting from scratch with these guys. So I think if you feel that a guy has a certain level of competitive and t- competitiveness and toughness, which is so important in the NFL for the offensive line, particularly in the interior. Look, the interior offensive line in the NFL, because of all the bodies there and all the things you have to work through, that's not the swimsuit competition. I mean, yeah, would you like a guy to be athletic if he has great feet? Sure, sure you would. Absolutely. But, but in the NFL... You've got to get guys blocked, and sometimes it's not the guy who, who lines up over you. It ends up being someone else because there's a stun or there's a, a, a stunt blitz or there, whatever it may be. You know, So you have to get guys blocked, and it's competitiveness, it's toughness, it's tenacity. That's why Jack Conklin gets, gets picked with, uh, was it the eighth pick, I eighth think? Pick the eighth the pick, yep. and, and Tennessee trades up to do that because they want a tough offensive line. Conklin is not a dancing bear. Conklin, in fact, is a little duck-footed and is not a great athlete to play outside in the NFL. But he brings toughness. He brings competitiveness. He br- he's a tempo-setting kind of player for an offensive line. And even though his footwork and his movement is not efficient right now, I guarantee O-line coaches feel they can break him down and build him back up if he's got the work ethic and the competitiveness, which the Jack Conklins of the world do have. It's interesting that you bring that up, and this will be the last point before we wrap this up is I was thinking earlier this offseason about what are the traits that some of the elite players in the NFL share, regardless of position, just in terms of you know what makes a player great. And one of those things that pops up, and I think of guys like Richard Sherman and J.J. Watt and Calvin Johnson, obviously, when he was in the league, and Tom Brady, and you, all these guys came from different parts of the draft and different backgrounds and uh, you know different levels of competition. But what do they share? They share like that relentless competitiveness, that yep. willingness to get better, and you and that's that's a you know that quote unquote it factor that a lot of people just they throw it up against. But the you wall know and say that's what it is. I got to tell you, I, I view that not as an intangible. You can measure work ethic. Yeah. Okay, you know normally the people who study well and properly for a test for two hours do better than the person who studies for 15 minutes. You can measure work ethic. So when I hear that that's an intangible, that's not an intangible. Tom Brady's work ethic is not an intangible. That's a tangible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a valid point. Well, uh, Greg, it's the, the 109th pick. We could pick. do this for about three more hours. I mean, we, we're going to. And <laughs> I, 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 if, look, if it was proper etiquette to, to do a podcast of just you and I just, uh, you know, shooting the stuff as we're watching the draft, I probably would do it. But uh, we obviously have some work to do. The Eagles will be on the clock here uh, within the next hour or so here in the fifth round, But uh, barring a trade-up. But appreciate the time here, as always, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Hopefully the fans got a little bit of an insight into what it was like for me getting to sit here and watch the draft with you over the last couple of days. I appreciate it, Fran. I love it. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that convo with Greg. We covered a ton of ground in those 30 minutes, and that's about all I've got for you this week. So we'll be back next week. In the meantime, go and check us out on iTunes. Give us a rating. We can keep making the show better each and every week. Until then, go Eagles.